All right, welcome back to another episode of The Shadows of Jesus. Um, If you haven't had a chance to like or subscribe to the podcast, do that. I hear from other podcasts, it helps things. (laughs) Why not help help us out? Uh, My name is Jeff Martin, um, and I'm joined by my co-host. Bill Jolly. Bill Jolly. So, Bill, how many books of the Bible have we read through? We're at, we're in nine. We're in book nine. We've been doing this for over 100 days. All right. That's a pretty good, yeah. You guys are doing great if you're doing the reading plan. Well, today we're jumping into 1 Samuel, so let's just, let's roll. Go for it. Okay. All right. So chapters one through three, um, we're going to see a huge political shift where at this point Israel's been um, tribal, um, a tribal society, and now there's going to be a shift to a monarchy. Mm-hmm. And so we, we meet this lady named Hannah. And mm-hmm. she's barren. Yeah. And, and like that means she can't have kids. And I feel like this is a theme that we have seen and will see. Yeah, throughout scripture, the uh, barrenness, we had Sarah, Abraham's wife, Samson's mom. Yeah. And then we'll see it again in the New Testament with Elizabeth. Yeah, so this this barrenness. And um, so Hannah prays to God. And she's like, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I want a son. And if you'll give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. She She really honors God. And what does God do? He gives her a son. He gives her a son, and his name is Samuel. Samuel, which we get the books of first yep. and second Samuel. So um I love like this is like a little foreshadowing of Jesus because here's Hannah, and she's gonna give birth to a son who will be the herald of the king, mm-hmm. which is gonna be Saul. Mm-hmm. He's gonna herald the king. And Elizabeth in the New Testament is barren, and she's gonna give birth John to a the son, Baptist. John the Baptist, who will be the herald of the King of Kings yeah, to Jesus. Jesus. So I kind yeah. I love how this is kind of foreshadowing Parallel, yeah. mm-hmm. what's happening there. Um, well, in chapter three, um, God calls out to Samuel. So Samuel is he's working in the temple. And God's like, hey, and Samuel keeps thinking it's Eli um, who's raising him. Yeah. And three times Eli's like, it's not me. And then he basically realizes that's God speaking to you. You need to go listen. And so he does. Yeah. And when God speaks to Samuel, he says, Samuel, I'm going to do a thing. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the thing? Yeah. So the problem it's not, it's not good. It's not good. It's, like, it's, it's such an exciting story because you're like, God's speaking to this, this young boy. But then the message that he gets is a heavy message because Samuel's righteous. He's doing, he's doing good things. Um, but Eli's sons are evil, worthless mm-hmm. men who are um, taking advantage of the sacrifices and the offerings. They're, they're taking advantage of the women that are there. You oh, know. yeah, it's a messed up story. Yeah. So, and God says that they're gonna, they're, he's going to take them out. Yeah, they're basically, they're basically like of the devil. Yeah. And so God says, I'm going to take out your sons Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to move on from your house, Eli. Like right. I'm done with you. Yeah. And Eli, he's like, if God thinks that's best, I get it. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even he doesn't even deny it he or really, fight he it. He just kind of accepts it. Yeah, he's like, I get, he's like, hey, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. and so um, we get to chapters four through eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we jump into that, was there anything you wanted to say about? Because I love, you know, when I think about. Mm-hmm. The birth of Christ, Mary has this awesome prayer, this awesome praise, yes. and, and and it really feels like it kind of reflects Hannah's. So, yeah. was there anything in that that yeah. stood out to you? Yeah, a couple things with Hannah. Um, one was when she was there praying for you know about her, her whole situation, and um, and Samuel, I'm not saying Eli comes up and thinks that she's you know intoxicated, and she says, "No, I'm just I'm pouring my heart out mm-hmm. to God," and and that that struck me because uh, I've just one thing that. God's been teaching me about prayer lately has been like the importance of pouring your heart out. And there's actually other passages of scripture that say, pour your heart out like water before the Lord 
and that we, we can come to him and do that. And so I love Hannah's example of in, in all her, you know, things that are her challenges. She comes and pours her heart out to God. Uh, and then she sings this song, which has these themes that resonate throughout the rest of the, you know, the, the book and through the Bible. Uh, a main one being the, the proud or the humble, yeah. the rich and the poor. And she just takes us through uh, all those things and sings about how, and even at the end that there's going to be a king that's coming. And so there's even a little nod, you know, messianic nod there. Yeah, I love she praises God as her rock. Mm -hmm. And um, and we talked about this when we were going through the wilderness and Moses struck the rock. Then we go to the New Testament and who's the rock? Christ. Jesus. So yeah, Yeah. so she's she's pointing to Jesus. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Mm -hmm. Well, in chapter four, um, the, the Philistines, they're fighting with Israel. Yeah, And so Israel's, they're more or less going to try to force God's hand. So instead of waiting on God, they're like, just go get the ark and it'll make us win. So they bring in the ark and just everyone shouts. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we've got the ark. This means we're, so they think we're going to win because. Yeah. We have this talisman with us, a yeah. magic charm. Yeah, yeah. And so everyone shouts. The Philistines hear the shout and kind of freak out. And they're like, we're done. Yeah. But then someone stands up and basically says, look, Philistines, man up. <laughs> Because if you don't, we're going to be slaves. And the Philistines rise up and... They defeat the Israelites. Whoop them. Yeah. Yeah, kill, was it, 30,000 guys? Mm -hmm. And they steal the ark. And then they steal the ark. Kill kill a lot of guys, and they get that ark. And so we had Eli, who was raising Samuel. um, And he gets word that the ark was stolen, that his two sons died, just like Samuel said, one of the things that God was going to do. And he's a big, big old boy. Yeah. Um, and what happens to him? And he falls back off his chair and breaks his neck. And Snaps dies his right neck. there. Yeah. Then his, his son's wife. Yeah. Gives birth, goes into labor prematurely, gives birth, and then and names the baby Ichabod. Ichabod, which means that God's glory has left. Mm-hmm. And so so this idea of this child, she, she's basically realizing the weight of God's glory has, has left mm-hmm. the nation of Israel. Yeah. Well, in chapters 5 and 6... Um, the ark is in different Philistine towns and every town it goes to things don't go well. Like mm-hmm. guys got all these tumors and stuff. You said it might be, like, it could be a bubonic plague, like some plague. You know, with all the rats that's associated, you know, uh, with part of it, so, so they're just like, get it out. So they send it to their friend's town. Like mm-hmm. you want this thing? And they're like, get it away. No. Yeah. So yeah. So eventually they go, just put it on a, a cart, strap it to some cows. If it goes this way, like it was just a coincidence, but if it goes to Israel, we know that God was doing this in the cart. Straight to Israel. Straight to Israel, yeah. and so they, so they realized this. So um, the ark shows back up to Israel. We're in chapter 7, and I bet the people have some questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like why did God let the Philistines defeat us? Why did the ark come back? What do we do now? Yeah, so Samuel steps up, and at this point we see that he's going to be the final judge of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so he tells them, look, return to God with all of your heart. Put away mm-hmm. all of your idols and serve only God. And the people basically agree, and and for the entirety of, of Samuel's life, it's like yeah. the Philistines are going to be at bay for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, well, in in chapter seven, we see this term. We see that they raise an Ebenezer. Yeah, like so. I've sung a song, "Come Thou Fount." Yeah, I love one of my favorite hymns, and it, but it's, it has this line in it that here I raise my Ebenezer. Yeah, and so when I think about that, like when someone asked me, "Do you know what Ebenezer means?" I literally went back to Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Does this mean like give God our negativity?" Because he was like a really negative <laughs> guy, but uh-huh. turns out I was way off. Yeah, 
Yeah. So Ebenezer is means it's a, a, a stone of remembrance or an altar where they can remember what God has done. Yeah. So it's a way yeah. of remembering God's faithfulness, God's goodness, remembering what God has done. So if you sing about that Ebenezer, it's it's not a Scrooge. Right. It's, it's a remembering remember remembrance yeah. of God. Um, so chapter eight, Israel cries out for a king. Um, Samuel has some sons that I guess could be judges. And they're like, we don't want your sons to judge us. Yeah. We want a king. Which is interesting because in Genesis, we see that God predicts Israel one day have a king. In Deuteronomy 17, God tells them when you're in the land and you appoint a king. So it seems like God is predicting them to have a king. And so the question is, is like, was this wrong? Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's a hard question. It, it, you think about the, even the roles of the, the prophets there, that that seemed to be their, how they, God wanted them to be led. Yeah. Um, like from you know, the example of Moses. But they... They we give us a king. They looked around at the other nations and saw they had kings. That's what we want. Yeah, it seems like they don't want a king as a form of God leading them as much as they want a king to be their God. Like to, the golden calf. Yeah, it's like to know? be their So they're looking for their security, their protection, their deliverance in something lesser. Mm-hmm. And so it very well might have been wrong for them to ask for a king, but it was definitely wrong for them to ask for a king in the sense that they wanted something to replace God. God's position in their lives. Yeah. Um, and so basically God's like, okay, Samuel, they're rejecting me. Um, not you, me, and this isn't going to go well for them. So tell them how bad it's going to be. And, uh, then give them the king. (laughs) It's so strange. There's a lot of uh, ambivalence in that, that section there. Any other thoughts in, in chapters four through eight and four through eight? Um, I think those were the main things that, that hit me. I think, you know, when you think about the ark, and, uh, and I, I just always love those, I mean, I liked Raiders of the Lost Ark back in the day. Uh, but when you think about the ark, that it's the place where God's presence dwells in a unique way. And then in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And, and I think for us today to think about the, just how that we carry God's presence yeah. within us. And that also his presence comes in a special way when we gather with other believers and, and just to, just to say, man, I'm so thankful for God's presence. Uh, I was, we were worshiping with our community group last night and uh, just in a living room and this, this wonderful sense of God's presence and his love with us. And, and anytime I think about the ark, I just, it reminds me of that. It calls me back yeah. to that. Man, as you're, as you're speaking, talking about God's presence, um, do you know where the tabernacle is at this point? It is in Shiloh. It's in Shiloh. Yeah. And it made me think, I meant to look into this and I just didn't get a chance to. I, it's in Shiloh at the beginning. Yeah. And I, does, I think Shiloh gets destroyed at some point. Yeah, yeah that's um, likely. And then they take it to the next place. I was reading about that somewhere too. Yeah, and that just, I, I it, en- it ends up being this, there, there's a spot that ends up being where the, the temple is eventually built. Okay. Uh, there's a connection there. All right. I, so, I didn't get a chance to look into it as enough. Yeah. So chapter nine, we meet Saul. Mm-hmm. He's handsome. Tall, but, dark, and handsome. Tall, dark, and handsome. Literally. He's a head taller than anyone else. And he's on a mission to find his father's donkey. So he's like a donkey herder. And, and like, I don't, th- like, I don't think donkeys are necessarily known for like their escapism. Like, I don't think don like, it seems like it, that's probably a pretty hard thing to lose. But either way, he's, he's not doing a good job. And it, it's this, this, it's more, it's a funny message when you think about it, because Israel has been likened to sheep uh-huh. um, and like and the need for a good shepherd. shepherd. And, and so they're like, we want a king, and God doesn't give them a shepherd king. He gives them 
a donkey, a donkey herder, herder. <laughs> and I think it's almost like a way of God saying, "Israel, you're acting like donkeys." Mm-hmm. And if you know the joke, like He always calls me that, um, it's it's not a good thing, right? <laughs> right, right. But right. they're acting like I don't, I'm not going to say it. Um, so eventually, they end up in a town where there's a known man of God, a man mm-hmm. who whatever he says comes true, and it turns out this is a town where. It's yeah, Samuel. There he is. Samuel lives, and um, God's told Samuel, like, hey, the guy that's supposed to be king's going to show up. Right. And so, um, and so when he meets, he's like, you're going to be the king. Mm-hmm. All right, so in chapter 10, there's another funny part where um, he's about to appoint Saul as king, and what does he disappears. Saul do? He disappears, and they say he's hiding with the luggage. <laughs> yeah. But here's this, I mean, he's huge. he's a big, tall guy. Yeah, it reminds me of a guy at our church, TJ, who's a head taller. Just imagine him trying to hide in some baggage uh-huh it's like, it's like not gonna work yeah, here there he is i think carter mentioned hercules um <laughs> the the cartoon movie trying to hide be, mm-hmm. um so either way not a good idea but eventually he comes out and there's this ammonite king who's bullying israel he's mm-hmm. like i'm gonna gouge out your eyes and saul basically says let's go whoop him let's take care of this guy and he does yep. and so they're they're long live the king and then now he's now he's the king mm-hmm Chapter 12. Yeah. This is Samuel's farewell speech. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's not going to disappear. Um, he, well, we'll see him again. But he basically gives a history lesson of God's faithfulness to Israel. Mm-hmm. Then tells the people, look, if, if you follow God, if you're fearing him, serving him, obeying him, things are going to go well. But if you don't, it's It'll not going to go good. Yeah. yeah. It definitely shows God's mercy because they had, mm-hmm. you know, they'd done crazy things. They had... It asked for a king, even and God, and he. This is a beautiful part in 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 First Samuel, um, especially in like verses twenty through twenty five, that it shows God's mercy and His provision yeah. for them, even though they were going, they were wayward and they were making bad decisions. Yeah, so we don't, we don't want to presume upon God's grace, um, but man, His His kindness and patience and mercy is is so prevalent. Yeah. Chapters thirteen and fifteen. These chapters cover the reign of Saul, and it's really it's kind of it's more or less building us to the point of seeing that there's going to be an, another king anointed, another king appointed. Um, but in these chapters, Saul just messes up. Yeah. So what, 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 so, so he's supposed to wipe out a town. Mm-hmm. Does he do it? Right. Doesn't follow through with exactly what God had told him to do. Yeah, and then he's supposed to have a rally point where he meets with Saul mm-hmm. and Samuel. or Samuel. Samuel's the priest, so yeah. he's the one that can make the sacrifice. Right. And so he gets this rally point, and what does he do? He jumps the gun. Yeah, Samuel's like, not there, and he's like, Phew. "Yeah, I got. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I've got to do this." So he assumes a responsibility of Samuel that he shouldn't, mm-hmm. and then as a consequence to just his his not following God's commands in their entirety, to his taking things into his own hands and disobeying God's law, what does God do? He says, "This is because of this, I'm going to remove my anointing, and you're disqualified yourself. And so what, like his anointing, it's interesting, like it, it rushes upon him, right? and it changes him. Yeah. It's like he's a different man, and mm-hmm. so it's almost like there's this external appearance of, and a, a way that people knew him to be. Mm-hmm. And when the spirit comes upon him, he starts to prophesy in, and that's such a, that's such a different characteristic from what he's ever displayed. People are like, is he even Saul one of the prophets? prophets? Yeah. Right. And so we see like what he brought to the table didn't allow him to lead God's people. It yeah. was what God did mm-hmm. in anointing him. And now it's gone. Yeah. And in its place, God sends what they say, call it a harmful spirit. 
to torment him. Yeah, so we'll get back to that about what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so chapter 16, God tells Samuel to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. When he shows up to town, the elders, they're like, do you come peaceably? Like They're, mm-hmm. they're trembling in fear. And I'm <laughs> right. like, like Samuel, he seems like a pretty good guy. Why right. would they be fearful? But they're thinking back to like where well, we just saw this brutal moment where yeah, Saul hadn't killed Agag, this uh, enemy king. Yeah, and then and he and Agag kind of comes sauntering up, and he's like, "Hey, you know the sauntering." Yeah, you know, I just because he, he seems like he's confident, he survived the battle, and he's probably hoping he's going to just be you know kind of taken care of, and not. Now what happens is Samuel grabs a sword, and it says he hacks him to pieces. Yeah, and the, so, so Samuel is a pretty. Hardcore guy. Don't mess with Samuel. Don't mess with them. Uh, yeah, so I, I get why they're fearful. And so Jesse prays out seven sons. And as far as appearances go, um, they have some kingly-looking dudes. Mm-hmm. Tall, good-looking, strong guys. And his family. But God's not looking at the things we look at. He's looking at the heart. And so Jesse sends and gets his last son, who's Rudy. Uh-huh. <laughs> a little guy. A little guy. I think he played football for Notre Dame. Uh-huh. Um, but he's out tending the sheep, and um, and Samuel anoints him to be the next king of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so I love this contrast where you have Saul, who's a head taller than everybody else. Right. Then you have David, who's like a head Short. shorter. I, I, in my childhood, I think of like Muggsy Bogues mm-hmm. versus like Shaquille O'Neal and just how funny that would look. And right, right. Or you could think of now Zac Efron and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, it's like just this big contrast. Uh-huh. And I, I think it's so important here because a lot of times when we think of like when, when we look to the outside, Mm-hmm. We would look at someone like Saul and be, he's the leader. But if things go victoriously, if things go well, and Saul's the leader of Israel, it, it probably makes sense where mm-hmm. people aren't thinking God did it. They're thinking, well, yeah, we had the we right had a guy. great leader, and look what he did. But if God works through someone like David, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so this just makes me think of the story from Judges with mm-hmm. with Gideon. Yeah, it's yeah. like unexpected place of uh, that a leader rises up from, and then when God brings his army down to just three hundred men. The victory, if it happened, would only be because God was with him. Yeah, so we, we typically work through logic and try to make sense of things, and, and God likes to likes to get glory not from the logical but from the miraculous. Yeah. And so he's, he's going to work through. Not from the logical, from the miraculous. Yeah, so he's going he's gonna to work through old, old David. Um, so at that point, the, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon okay. David, and the Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul, and, and you, as you yeah. already mentioned— this harmful spirit, harmful spirit, yeah, comes on him. So we'll, we'll get to that because that's a big question. Like, what in the world is go- like? Would God send a harmful spirit mm-hmm. on him? Does he do that today? And so we'll we'll wrestle with that that's at good. the end. So chapter seventeen, that's David and Goliath. We've all heard this story, so let's skip it. Yeah. So chapter eight, nah, we can't, we can't do that. Um, so when so just shoot from the hip. Good stuff. Uh, what are and, some things that stand out to you? Yeah. From? So um, you know, Saul doesn't do anything. They endure this. Um, this. Goliath coming out and mouthing off to them for 40 days. So they're, they're just stuck. What do we do? Uh, David shows up and he says, well, I've been watching my sheep. What have you been doing to Saul? Yeah, he's, he's, like, he's like donkey herder boy. Like <laughs> I, I've been, I've been, I've been shepherding. Yeah. What have you been doing? Take action there. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I love like something that was really interesting to me is I was listening to a podcast that talked about, um, you know, like you have the, the six cubit height of, of, Saul, you have the 600 shekels weight of his spear. Goliath's spear. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Goliath, Goliath's spear. Then um, <laughs> the random. They think they had, he might have had six 
fingers and yeah, six toes. in Chronicles, like at least his, like at least one of his, I think it's one of his brothers, brothers. Uh-huh. had, and yeah. like, and then in Second Samuel, like per, from that tribe, like Sons you have six, yeah. six toes and six fingers, twenty four total, uh-huh. and so so a bunch of sixes. Um, like Mark of the Beast. And then his armor looked like scales. And so when you think about like the beast and the scales, you might think back to Genesis with... Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the serpent. The serpent. And then the Proto-Evangelion where uh, God says to the woman that your seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Yeah, and so then here comes David with a slingshot. (laughs) Knocks him out. Uh Um, something Something else that's interesting is what tribe was Saul from? He was a Benjamite. Benjamite. Yeah. And if you go back to Judges, the Benjamites had like the Navy seal of, of slingshot Ehe. throwers. Oh, okay. And um, so like, so most likely like he should have been the slingshot guy. Oh yeah. But, the slingers. But, yeah. Yeah. But here comes, huh. here comes David. Interesting. At, uh, interesting. Mal- an, I don't know if you see Malcolm Gladwell has a book on, uh, on David and Goliath and kind of looks at the, okay. The unexpected power really that, that David had in that sling. He go, goes right down to the history. It's kind of, it's a good, Good book. Good have you read it? Yeah, I've not. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's good. Interesting right. rabbit trail to go down. There you go. And um, and so Goliath gets knocked out by by the stone. And so I think a lot of times when when people think about David and Goliath, maybe you grew up in Sunday school or have heard sermons, it, it could be preached as you know, like, hey, what's your Goliath? Mm-hmm. Um, what what's the giant in your life that God wants you to conquer? And mm-hmm. um, and so I mean, you can preach a good message out of that, but there's yeah. something so much more beautiful in this. Um, and I would say one is I think when I read this story, it's hard for me to be like, I'm not David. I'm, I'm Israel. Uh (laughs) Um, But, um, it really shows us Jesus. Jesus Mm -hmm. is a better David. Like, so like, how do you see Jesus and David? Yeah. So when you, when you think about it and, um, and you are, I I mean, I I think it's, it's fair and it's good to read it as, as like, look at how David had faith in God. Mm. Look at how he remembered what God had done for him in the past when he killed the lion and the bear, and that when he faced this challenge, that he was relying on God. He really was, yeah. and and he faced that challenge with faith. And so I think that's a great way to teach yeah, it. Yeah, so don't demonize a pastor who for doesn't. Doing, yeah, I feel like there's some, been some folks in our tribe that have been like just really discounted anybody that would ever do that. Yeah. So we don't want to do that, but... But man, it is powerful. Then you take it even to the next level to get to Jesus mm-hmm. and to see that we are Israel, who we we if we try to stand up and fight against our sin, that it that he's gonna it just destroys us. It's an unwinnable battle. Yeah. And so we need a uh, someone to come in and fight and represent all of us. And we talked about that that imputation mm-hmm. um, of uh, and so what we see is David is the one who's victorious. And the people don't lift a stone, right? And his victory becomes their victory. Their victory, and so yeah. with Jesus, like, his, yeah, we don't lift a stone. It's not about our performance or our righteousness or our good deeds, yeah. but Jesus is yes. on our behalf, yeah. and his his substitutionary atonement, his victory becomes won. becomes our victory. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, and that's ah, I remember the first time I heard that, and I was like, oh man, yeah. this is good. I love it. Yeah. Gospel right there. So definitely a huge shadow of Jesus mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. So chapter 18, we see David's complex relationship with Saul and Saul's family. Right. Like one, David is best friends with who? His son, With Saul's son, Jonathan. Yeah. And then David is more successful than Saul. People, when they sing. Yeah. And Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Yeah. Um, so, um, so Saul gets jealous, tries to kill David 
twice. Twice at this point. <laughs> that's why you always play music with your eyes open. All right. That's <laughs> okay. Good. No, don't. In case somebody wants to throw a spear at mm. you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, watch, I'm watching worship next time we right. worship. Yeah. <laughs> um, then after this, Saul tries to kill David a third time, but not not by his own hands. Uh-huh. So what, what does he do? So he offers his daughter, uh, Michael, for Mikkel, for a bride price. And he says, um, you, I want you to marry her. I want you to become, you know, part of the, the kingly, the royal family. He's like, he's like, I'm broke. I'm from a poor family. Like, what, I? I, I can't pay I you money. money. And he goes, well, I would, I'd well, like. a hundred Philistine foreskins. Ew. <laughs> I know. <so. laughs> but his hope is, is that as David goes to get these foreskins, that he'll, he'll get, be killed. He'll be killed. Yeah, so, so like, Yes, yeah, kind of really a really underhanded way to deal with yeah. this thing. He and shows up with two hundred. I'll double it, man. Yeah, okay, and so disgusting. he he marries uh, Michael and becomes Saul's son-in-law. Yeah, so there, there's this super complex relationship. Yeah. I mean, this is like a soap opera. Yeah, sort of at this. This point. is reality TV. The whole story. Re- yes, reality TV. It'd be great on Netflix. Um, chapter nineteen gets a little weird. I mean, so Saul tries to kill David a fourth time by pinning him to a wall with a spear. Doesn't work. Then he's about to give it a fifth shot, but mm-hmm. but Michael helps David escape. Right. Um, David goes to live with Samuel, and all these guys that Saul sends to find David keep encountering the Spirit of God. And every time they encounter the Spirit of God, what do they do? They pro- they fall down and start prophesying. Yeah. So then so then Saul's like, I'll I'll go do it, and then the Spirit Same rushes thing. on him. <clears throat> yeah. And what does he do? He falls down. Apparently naked. I'm not sure how that fits into it. <laughs> yeah. But he and he's prophesying is, you know, ecstatically. I've never prophesied naked in my life. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just, just weird. Yeah. Um sure chapter twenty on. this this is another episode of David escaping Saul, trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And then chapter twenty one we get a story Jesus mentions with David and the holy bread. Mm-hmm. And so um any any anything any thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. So there's um in David lies to the priest and uh, he says he's on official business for the king and he's not and he's not and uh and and at the it's going to end up with that that priest and all those other priests are are killed and the whole yeah whole and the and the, and the village yeah, now is put to the sword mm-hmm. uh, so it's like so brutal. one thing is is i always thought the bread wasn't allowed to be eaten so when I, when I read it like in the New Testament with Jesus uh, mentioning the story, I'm like, yeah, you, they weren't supposed to eat that bread. Um, but it seems like the priest is okay with it as long as the men haven't been with any women. Is that, do you know if that's right? Or I, not? I'm not sure where he got that. I mean, I think he was just trying, maybe the priest was trying to make the best of the situation. He's saying, well, at least if this hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, so which. So maybe he was like bending the rules. Could be. And yeah. I mean, but even the guys, like what women were they with? Was it okay for them to, you know, just pick up women while they were, yeah. you know, on their campaign. So but when Jesus references this story, he seems to push that the, the mercy is the, that, it, the, that God cares about people more than he does about rules. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so um, David doesn't have any weapon with him. And so he's like, do you got anything? <laughs> Actually, we have Goliath's sword here. <laughs> yeah. Right behind the ephod. Let me grab it. And so he gets the, he gets the sword and he goes to another town trying to, like, could you imagine trying to hide that no like yeah, you put like, in your pants yeah like, um and so just a, a ridiculous scene thinking of david trying to like hide with goliath's sword and so what does he do to not get caught yeah so he's so he when he realizes that they're not going to accept him and I, maybe he thought he could be hired by them as a mercenary or somehow he would be on good terms but they're like no you're david and, and they're going to kill him and so he he feigns madness yeah, and he's slobbering and carrying on, and they're and they're the king's like this guy's he's a lunatic. Why'd you bring him here to waste my time? Yeah, so he goes down to the wilderness. Yeah, out to there. Um, chapter twenty two. David's still on the run. Um, he drops his mom and dad off to some Moabites. Yeah, 
That's interesting. I thought the Moabites were enemies. Right. Any, any thoughts to why? Well, his so Jesse's grandfather was Bo was uh, or his in David's descendant Ruth. from Ruth, uh, the Moabite. Yeah, yeah. It's his great grandma. Yeah. So, so there's a family connection there, right. and maybe they also have the common enemy of of Saul. But either way, it seems to work out for yeah. him. Um, and all these people start gathering to him, mm-hmm. and like maybe they're like also outcasts maybe they want to be on team david maybe their life is at risk too it's like a pretty motley crew when it talks about 400 people these guys yeah Yeah. and so meanwhile saul's in the hunt and he goes to the priest who gave david the bread and goliath's sword and saul's so mad that he tells the guard to kill all the priests and the guard's like we're not going to do it but then there's this this dude Doeg. Yeah, Doeg or Dog, um, the Edomite. Dog. And he's like, Look, I'm not gonna betray you, Saul. Like, I'm on your team. And he's he talks about what the priest did, and then Saul. He actually he, outed the priest, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he slaughters eighty five priests. Like and Saul and then Saul goes and wipes out the whole town. The whole town, which he was supposed to do with the, <laughs> the Philistines. Yeah. And uh, so and he's doing the God's people. He's he's lost his yeah. mind. Yeah. Um it's, yeah, it's just a sad, sad moment uh, for sure. Chapter twenty-three. He's on the hunt for David. David takes a little little side trip and rescues the whole town from the hand of the Philistines before going back on the run, where Saul keeps hunting him. And um, like I said, this would be a great a great Netflix series. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of chapter twenty-three, Saul hears that the Philistines are attacking, mm-hmm. so he has to break from hunting David and go fight. And from here, David flees to En Gedi, which mm-hmm. some some Psalms are written. Yeah. From written there. from this time in Engedi. Right, right. And then one of my favorite stories is in chapter 24. Bill, what, yeah. what happens in chapter 24? So, yeah, so David is, he's in this cave hiding uh, with his men, and Saul's looking for him, and he needs to go to the bathroom. So he goes into a cave for some privacy, and out of all the caves, he, he picks the wrong one because David and his men are hiding in the depths of that cave. And and so then there's like David there, and his men are like, man, this is not a coincidence. This is your chance to, to kill Saul and take the throne. And uh, and so David goes into SEAL Team 6 mode. <laughs> and he sneaks, he's sneaky. We keep saying SEAL Team 6. Maybe we should, we should get like another elite, like the Marine Raider yeah, or, um, or Delta Force. Delta Force. I don't know. He's ninja for sure. And, and John-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, and he gets right, and so he so Saul's there. His garments are covering his feet, and and uh, and David's able to reach out and and just cut off part of his garment. He just, and then and then Saul walks out, and then David comes out and begins to talk with him. Yeah, yeah. so so he waits. So there's like enough distance, mm-hmm. and he's like Saul, like, why are you trying to kill me? He's like, I could have killed you. Look at your robe. Mm-hmm. I got the corner. He's yeah. like, I had the chance to. I didn't, and this like this breaks Saul. He's like, "You're more righteous than me." Yeah. And uh, one one interesting thing is he calls Saul call or David calls Saul the Lord's anointed. Like, mm-hmm. any, like why do you think he called him the Lord's yeah, anointed? Yeah, like I think I remember I marked that because he said it so many times yeah. in there that he was not going to lay a hand against the Lord's anointed. And um, it, I mean, for me, this there's a lot in First Samuel that where you think about God's timing. God's providence and you know and we we know Romans 8 28 that God works all things together for good uh, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose and David is seems to be really given an example of trusting in that yeah you know that God's God's providentially he it's his timing I'm going to trust in God's timing 
And even though his men were encouraging him and say, hey, God, they were saying, God, actually put Saul into your hands right now. Take him. David had a, some, a level of discernment where he would say, actually, no, I'm, I'm not supposed to lay yeah. a hand on, the, on God's anointed. Yeah, as I, as I was wrestling with that and reading, it, reading some things on it, it looks like there might be a difference between the anointing presence of, of God's spirit and the anointing of a position that God's placed you in. And so, so, so the presence of God has left him, but he's still in the position, he's the, the anointed, anointed position. Yeah. And so David's respecting yeah. that position of a anointing that God has put him in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there's, there's a lesson in that too often for us to, you know, be able to recognize at times in our life where, you know, God will place us somewhere where we're having to follow me, you know, a, a leader, a boss, you know, or something, you know, some person in our life that we're like, oh, but we're just, God's got us there. Yeah. And we're, we're just to learn, and he's going to teach us something through the, you know, just submitting to God's timing in, yeah. a, in a bad situation, a really bad yeah. situation in <laughs> David's case. Yeah, so um, before we move on to some questions, we covered so much. Were there any, were any other final thoughts from all these chapters? I think that, yeah, this idea of trusting God and yeah. David such a great example of that for us. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge lesson. Yeah. So um, one of the questions. questions we had that came in was back with Eli's sons. And so they had this sin. Yeah. And, um, and it looks like God's saying, I'm not going to forgive you. Mm-hmm. Is this an unforgivable sin? Yeah, it's a great, yeah. Um, so, so. Yeah, so you think about that and that is this, did they... And and it, which when you think about it in the New Testament, and, and and I know there's lots of people that get just, just get really torn up about is there an unforgivable sin? Yeah. And as we see, you know, Jesus talking about that and think about that, that we learn that the only unforgivable sin would be just not coming to God, who gives grace for every sin. Yeah, <laughs> you're just it's only if you say no, I'm not going to believe that God is gracious, that his that his spirit want, you know is for that he's for me that would be the only thing that could cut you off from yeah. total forgiveness for anything. There's not some sin you can do. Like, so blasphemy, if you don't, if you say the Lord's name in vain, did you commit it? Right. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember freaking out about this in high school and my yeah. youth minister said, Jeff, if you're concerned that you've committed it, you haven't committed it. Right. You really <laughs> haven't. And there, and I, I did, there was a couple verses, um, in, in first Samuel, um, it, when, when you look at that, uh, that kind of tie into it, Numbers 15, it says, the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person will be cut off from among his people because he's despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. And that's when you look at the hearts of Eli's sons that you see that they were they were presuming and they were you know supposed to be serving mm-hmm. as priests but they were doing they were coming before the Lord with a high hand uh, and yeah. it, I, there was another in Hebrews New Testament passage uh, Hebrews ten twenty six if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins it seems like it's echoing yeah. uh, this moment but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So really, I think he's, it's getting at these guys had these, their hearts were turned away from the Lord. And, and if our hearts are turning away from the Lord, our hearts are getting hard, then that's putting us in a place where we're not able to receive his grace. Yeah. Good news is turn. Yeah. And if, so anybody listening, if you've sinned, no matter how grievous, no matter how bad, mm-hmm. if you turn to God, grace is extended towards you. Right. So the fact that your heart desires to turn to God is evidence of God's grace 
not moving on from your life. That's right. Come to him and then you'll experience. So it's so freeing just to bring that sin to him and then experience the, the love of God and the grace and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. So another big question that people have as they're reading through first Samuel is what's going on with there being an evil spirit from the Lord tormenting Saul. Mm -hmm. And so as I was reading up on this one said, one thing said, you know, first the spirit is from God in the sense that God allowed the spirit to come upon Saul. So not necessarily yeah. sent from God, but allowed. And so the, when I think like something that I think is really important is there's one reality, God's reality, mm-hmm. but there are two realms. There is the physical realm that we can see um, and experience um, with our with our five senses, and then there's the spiritual realm which we can't see, but the spiritual realm is just as real and just as active at all times, whether we realize it or not. And so I believe that the whole time that Saul is leading God's people, there are evil spirits wanting to attack him. Mm -hmm. And it seems like at this point that God allows them to Mm -hmm. say, you know what? And it's kind of like with Job when Satan's like, Hey, let me, let me have at your best servant. And God allows him. But at the end of the day, like, it's, it's from God in the sense that they're under God's control, but God is allowing mm. these spirits that probably were already trying to attack him to attack him. And God, God allows it, mm. allows it to happen as a penalty for his sin. Say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to let you experience what I've protected you from. Yeah. Um, and then another thing with, I think to see is like that God allowing this spirit to come upon him mm-hmm. actually ends up to be good in the sense that it brings David to him. Um, so if it wasn't for the tormenting, he wouldn't have needed the music. Mm-hmm. If he didn't need the music, he wouldn't have met David. David. And so, so it almost like it served a purpose of bringing David mm-hmm. into his life. Um, mm-hmm. but any, any other thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's, you know, you think about, um, the, the spiritual battles that we face and, uh, and, and one of the things that's so encouraging is, um, when you're when you're facing spiritual warfare, no, number one, you know it's a reality that it's happening. Yeah. That's the, the 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 I guess Satan's one of his big tactics is just to get you to think that it's not real. Yeah, that he's not there. I think that's one of the things that that C.S. Lewis talked about. Uh, and but that it is real. But when you you have authority in Jesus, that when there's those kinds of attacks, that you can pray and you can um, pray against those things. And because of the authority of Jesus, mm-hmm. that you you can see those things change. Yeah. Uh, and I, so, man, I encourage you to to just to be able to stand in that authority and to pray and see and see God move. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a follow up question is like, would God allow an evil spirit to torment me? Mm-hmm. And um, and the truth is, is like I said, there's there is a spiritual realm. Um, we are called to put on the armor of God, mm-hmm. um, which seems to for protection, yeah. we're called to resist the devil, um, and so, so I think, yeah, God allows us to go through spiritual battles. Um, but He said, like, we have authority in Jesus's name, and yeah, and, and God probably protects us more than we'd ever know. Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably we, there's probably way more things aimed at us that God. Yeah. yeah, and and I think you know, in Jesus, in the you know, in in the Lord's prayer, He talks about you know, lead us away from temptation, yeah. deliver us from evil, or that could be translated, mm-hmm. deliver us from the evil one. And so he's actually like teaching us as part of your regular prayer life to pray for spiritual protection yeah. because it's a it's just it's this reality that we're facing. So I encourage everybody and take that time and pray pray through that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, um, a couple of shadows of Jesus. We we talked about the barren 
women yep. right. um, and, and kind of paving the way for the king. Yep. Um, I love just, there are some parts of Samuel that point to Jesus. I mean, both their moms have incredibly awesome prayers of praise, mm-hmm. but Samuel grew in wisdom, stature, and favor before the That's Lord. That's the line. Yeah. yeah. They, they use, Luke uses that to describe Jesus in yeah. Luke 242. And so, uh, and you see that Samuel is growing in that same, that same way. Yeah. We had the, the shadow of Jesus with David and Goliath. One, mm-hmm. one cool one that, that I hadn't seen before is the ark is mm-hmm. the ark is, is captured. It looks like darkness is one. Mm-hmm. And then it has this time of being prated around. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and uh, not going well. And then, then it returns. And it's almost like this picture of Jesus where at his death, it looks like darkness has won. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then in three days, Jesus yeah. returns. And, yeah. uh, and we see this great reversal of how, how God wins. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Good. there's that. Um, but in, any, other, any other shadows that you saw? I think those are the main ones. Yeah. yeah. Well, next week, we're gonna, we'll, we'll wrap up 1 Samuel. And we'll, we'll be in 2 Samuel. So keep, keep reading. And uh, we look forward to, to continuing to dive into to the life of King David. Just it's going to get better. Yeah. So good stuff. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. What did Goliath's spear weigh? 600 shekels.